Welcome to the George Lynch Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Legendary Gear. The game call company is Legend by Design. Well, folks, we have finally come to the end. We drew to the end of the Iowa late turkey season, the fourth season. And uh, it's been, you know what, it's been a great season. It's been a blessed season. It's been a season of learning, uh, even for the old dog here that's been doing it for years. But, you know, uh, in Michigan and in, in a lot of the places that I've, I've hunted out, when I was hunting for myself, and I had guided a few people, but when hunting for myself, and I don't mean this in an arrogantly way, but I spent probably, I would say, 80% of my turkey success has always been within the first week. And a lot of it's been in the first three days of our season. Um, usually, uh, and if I hunted in the late season, I was so busy helping others. And uh, and I've done that through the past. But, uh, you know, uh, with the business, once the business started, and I'm talking about even with Lynch Bob Calls, and this all has to do you know when you have a dealer base and it's become the same structure for legendary gear because we are starting to increase our our dealer base and it, which is great but in the springtime is actually uh those who are not in the business uh don't realize that the spring is actually just as much or go time for us as it is in the fall it maybe if not more because of all the new products and things that we're doing but you know getting all the new dealer orders together and uh you know with just being two of us running legendary gear it's uh pretty tough because we have you know we wear separate or not separate but we wear many hats uh diane has her her range of what she's doing between the business and billing and and uh marketing uh marketing and um you know social media doing these uh edit all that she does all the editing on our podcast in which we've started to increase and and doing more and more of them uh just you know i'm doing the designs i'm doing tuning trying to get out there and hunt and it's just been tough because uh you know we're it's her and i filming one another and once we get done you know then we got to edit all that footage so it's the same way it's just it's just been tough and then you're doing shows and that's what like with this year we've been traveling all over between iowa deer classic to the illinois deer classic and then come home and then we travel all the way up to Yorkton, Saskatchewan for the Parkland Expo, which was a great show. We were up there speaking. We had our own booth and, and it did very well. Very, you know, some of my best friends are up there and, and uh, you know, I just reach out to Darren Wandy and B. Latane and Old Muck and Marcus Simmons and a lot of those guys, uh, um, Layden Fittick and everybody up there. I call them my northern brothers that just, uh, you know, they're, they're great people and some of my best friends and even though we didn't get to the first time I met B but uh it's like we were brothers from a different mother for years but uh, you know as soon as we get back from that we go from ice in the water snow some of the roads are still snow covered uh to getting home we had one day to get uh, every you know all the gear together and pack up and drive uh, almost 11 hours to to Fort Worth Texas for the Ducks Unlimited show and um you know, we went from that to 95, 95 degree weather. Um, you know, the, we didn't have a crowd that we thought we'd get down there. And of course we had uh, the Saturday night, I think we had tornadoes and everything. The weather was just, just tremendously bad between that and the heat. Sunday, we had a little cooling off. So maybe the weather, uh, you know, because of the rain and everything might have held the crowd down. But I will say this, uh, we had a great uh, location 
we were just inside of one of the uh, um, mechanics room the garages I guess you call it and, and when they came in the door we had our booth right there uh, people got to see it but what people we had and what people came through we killed it we I was busy and we sold uh, we did very well in the products and you know I'd probably say our nosedive duck call um, was probably the hottest seller you know in in the molding line that we did that uh, I thought we'd just kill it because we have such a great molded line, but our uh, high-end acrylic line is still, it's outselling our molded line, but it was very good. Uh, we sold a lot of duck calls, even sold some of the cut downs, and I figured we would because we were more into the uh, duck area down there. Uh, the spec calls went phenomenal, and um, which we did sell some goose calls, but I'd say it was probably three and one in duck. And but It was a great show, but you know it takes another 11 hours driving back, and and then you got a day getting ready what you're what you've been behind i've got uh, cataract surgery that was been postponed twice um, my eyes were so bad that uh, and i actually did put it off the second time so i could turkey hunt i didn't want to take a chance of trying to turkey hunt with a one-eye patch you know, looking like uh, blackbeard out there um, trying to get his uh, turkey but it's it's been tough, but like I guess the point I'm trying to get at is I, I spent a lot more time in the early season and I have later on you know, in this late season. And because of Iowa, you're kind of forced in that way because you know you pick a, the, the you get two birds, but you pick one is your first pick, but then you automatically throws you to the fourth season. And um, to be honest with you, I'm really glad that I hunted the fourth season. It was tough. And I've, you know, had chances before in the fourth season where I've kind of watched and noticed it, that there was a definite huge in, in the pattern. And, and, but the approach and how we go to things and how we how I approach. And I would say that this year was a huge breakthrough for me. And um, and I remember talking to Dan Young this year. It was frust the frustration he was feeling and, and other people that I talked to that, uh, you know, hey, this is. They're, they're goofy, man. I just don't understand it. Well, they got a reason what they're doing and whatever biologically it's causing it. You know, we're just trying to figure out where we have to go with it and learn to kind of work around it. I can remember five, six years ago, Philip Vanderpool called me and he was coming up here and wanted to turkey hunt with me. He was coming up in the fourth season and I said, brother, it's pretty tough up here in the fourth season. What I've kind of always thought that was more uh, if they were done with the hens, it was more of a pecking order, and it was pretty tough. And he always said they never had much trouble in late season. And I don't know if this is an Iowa thing, but I doubt if it is. But he came up here, and after a couple of days, he called me and said, man, it's tough. And uh, I remember we went out one day and, and worked and worked trying to get birds, and it was actually the gobbler we were trying to work was being chased by uh, three other mature gobblers. And it just, they both kept their distance and coming in. It's kind of like Elton. Uh, be going back and forth and, and coming in and going back out and it's just it's a total different demeanor and um, so no difference in this season you know we, with uh, before we went up to Canada it was the second season I think believe it was that's when uh, Diane had her tag and we went out and she uh, like I said I spotted this gobbler the day before by himself in fact he might have had one hen but he was by himself and and uh, working this knoll that I've seen time and time again that they like to strut on. And sure enough, I went the next day and we set up, I set up a, our muddy blind. It's a 360 that you can see, which is pretty cool for the turkeys. But I got another comment about that later I'll discuss. But um, 
I set up the blind, went in there to, and to film her the next morning. It was her term, uh, time up, her first turn. Her, she was getting uh, the first chance. And uh, we were excited to try out our new Savage uh, 220 uh, 20 gauge single. Their uh, bold action 20 gauge uh, turkey gun with turkey choke and accu trigger. I think we got it down to about two pounds on that trigger so you can squeeze. And of course, and then shooting that, um, we're shooting the Apex 20 gauge. Uh, could be nine shot. I'm not, I have to look at it, but it's, uh, we patterned it in and I'll tell you what, whoa, does that, that apex put a punch. It puts a wallop and you know, when you shoot it, it's possible. I mean, it's sitting, my target was just, just getting disintegrated. It's sighting it in. It was very impressive to say the least. So the excitement of being able to, what that is going to do to a turkey was, was pretty exciting. Not trying to be morbid, but just the effect and, and the lethal of that shell um we were excited to, to try it out and uh not that it would make us shoot any further because we wouldn't we still would shoot 30 yards and on in but um and maybe extend it to 40. but um that next morning it just said uh we got in there early we had one gobbler that was pretty much uh, from the east of us and i hit him i hit him a little bit i never you know if he's gobbling hard and it's hot and they got several gobblers um, that's another thing. If you have several, several gobblers going, I'll get hot. And, uh, you know, once they get going in the morning before they have left the roost and when they're going hot, then I'll pick it up and I'll actually cut him off on gobbling. And a lot of times that seems to piss them right off. And it's like a, a race to who's going to be the one to come in. But when you got one gobbler, you know, I got one approach. And so to me, the approach is always taking the easy approach. Um, you can always add, but you can't take away. So, you know, to me, I like to see them. If I don't see them, it's just giving them a little confidence call and yelping as you're going. And that's exactly what I did. Just kept yelping, never got the excitement. Once he was on the ground, he shut up. But it didn't stop me every five, ten minutes just giving my soft yelps. I didn't wait the 30 minutes. I didn't wait, you know, and I'll tell you why. This is not a midday hunt. This is a morning hunt. And when they get down to that roost, they're directional, you know, which way they want to go. So to me, when they get down, and if I got his attention coming my way, I want to keep that attention. So really, I don't want to go any more than five, three to five minutes in between my calling. Because uh, even if he's not answering, a lot of times, you know, yes, he could be going the other way. And a lot of times going the other way, they'll still gobble just because of the excitement. But if he's coming my way and he's quiet, there's a good chance when they're quiet, they're moving, they're walking. So if I wait too long... I don't want him to lose interest or maybe give a chance for another hen because that will that is what happens when you know once we'll start calling there is a hen in that area you'll definitely attract another hen who comes in sometimes she'll sidecock and come in and um, go right in up to the to the time and, and cut you off so I like to keep that calling going nothing you know big or spectacular just enough to keep his interest in you know and I use a I have our three-read bat wing. I use a two-read bat wing, but the three-read. This is the same thing you could be doing. I can do the sequence on the, the pot call as well and to show you, but on my diaphragm. That little sequence right there, 
I'll keep going. Now, if he throws a gobble, and you see it's nothing exciting, I'm just throwing meat and potatoes out there, just trying to sound like him. But if he gets excited and gives me a gobble, then this is kind of what I'll pick up. So kind of throwing in a little bit of an excited hen in there and just kind of picked it up. And if he's got that tempo, if not, I might do, if I don't hear gobble, I might throw that once, but basically after that, and that's what I did. I just kept the basic stuff. Then right out of the woods, he popped into our field and it started raining, which I love a light rain. I mean, if I'm gonna have a rain, I like a light rain because it seems to push the, the birds out of the woods and into that field, even if they got hens, because at least I can make eyesight, and it's a lot easier calling bird that I can see than the bird that I can't see. But uh, he pushed right out into that field, and, we, and I was doing the filming for it, and as he was getting closer and I was calling, he, he kept getting, it kept raining a little harder, it kept raining a little harder, and I just kept, because uh, I knew he was a big bird, and I knew he was a smart bird, and he didn't do that beeline straight into the decoy to kick it. He was making a, a little, his circle out around it. And I believe, in my opinion, with what I've watched with the uh, mature birds, especially with the Jake, I definitely believe that they make their, they, they want to do that circle around, not to tell if that's a, a right a decoy or a bird. I think it's a look to see if there's multiple Jakes there because multiple Jakes can be terrible on adult birds and a mature bird. And that's kind of, you know, again, it's my opinion. Opinions like elbows, everybody's got a couple, but that's how I feel in the, in the things that I saw out in the field. But as he was walking and circling around, That is all I'm doing. And he just makes that, and then I'll shut right up. Once he started making that little turn towards us, I just kind of shut up, and he let him work in. I noticed he hit 30 yards, and I told Diane, uh, as soon as he raises his head up, I, he's not going to come charging in that decoy for the for footage. And, you know, we I want her to smoke that gobbler. So as soon as he came into that 30 yards, I said, hey, when he raises his head up, and you can see on the video, uh, he just, like, he read the script. He stops, he raises that head straight up in the air, and she tips his toenails and sends him to turkey heaven. And all, all, tur all gobblers go to heaven after that. And it was pretty cool, and, and uh, went out there, and as soon as I picked him up, I've shot up a 30-pound bird, and I shot a 29-pound bird. And I picked him up, and I said, girl, you've got a heavy turkey. This thing could push 30 pounds. And uh, his spurs were thick, but worn round. His beard, if you ever see a gobbler with a beard, uh, they'll have a nice long black beard, but up near the chest and right out of the skin, there's a white, creamy, um, sticky, looks like a, a pasty looking stuff that uh, is about, could be an inch, inch and a half long that comes out of the chest. And then you'll see the black beard out of that. 
that turkey had almost half of his beard was of that sticky, white, creamy, sticky stuff. And the other half looked like straw. And um, he might have been nine inches in beard, but it, you could tell it was worn. Beard length doesn't, you know, I shot two-year-olds with 10-inch with beards, but his beard, but you could tell it was like straw. And looking at the spurs, but when we got home, I had the big noggin on him, but when I got home, I threw him on our scale there, and 29 pounds he hit on the money. So, uh, you know, I think that's her heaviest bird. So we get back, and, and, you know, I'm trying a couple sits. When we got back from Dallas, I'm finally getting the chance to get out in the field after everything going on. And I locate a great spot. It's a hidden spot. It's secluded. I've been scouting the spot for about, well, at least a month and been watching it. And I know the birds have been in there. I've hunted this spot before during the bow season for deer. And the way it lays, and I've walked it a lot in the spring, look, you know, walking sheds, looking for mushrooms. And it's a very secluded spot, not the easiest to get to. Um, so I, you know, that's why I didn't hunt it right off the bat because number one, I wasn't sure where they're roosting. Number two, I didn't know pretty much their, their, their movement and pattern. And I didn't want to start going in there, especially in the late season and bumping birds. I've always, you know, want to make sure, usually when I do a setup, it's because I've done enough scouting and I actually believe in that first setup when I'm going in, I'm going to kill a bird. I truly feel I've ever, very rarely do I go into a spot sitting down and saying, man, I hope I see something today. I mean, it's happened, but very rarely. Uh, usually I won't go as because I'm so busy with the business and things going on. But I, when I get serious and start doing my, my homework, I'm expecting that time out in the field that I'm going to tip some toenails and we're going to, we're going to bust a beak. So, uh, you know, we watched this spot and, and actually I did get in, got set up and uh, Diane was filming and the birds came out, and I had a huge gobbler. And we did have some filming. Um, you'll see that on our another podcast where we did a live film out in the field uh, watching these birds calling. And, and uh, anyway, this Tom came in, and I had a Jake, and I had a, a laying hen on him. And this Tom came out, and basically where I set up was a safe spot. It was like in between crossing. I knew they had some dust bowls over there. I've seen them on this other hill. I know they had to be – there's only – on the west and then the east were the woods. So either one of those spots they roosted. And I was trying to get in between that little hill where they go spend the early morning to where those the dust bowls where I know they're going midday or heading out to a pit cornfield. And um, this big gobbler, and I called him Walter. He was, Walter's a story, and I'll get on to Walter. We'll talk about Walter. But Walter was a bird that I've been after a few years. And he's he stuck it to me. He's he's elusive, but not that he's elusive. He's a, he's a big He's a wuss. Walter, every time, he don't want to get, he don't want to fight. And he, he really doesn't even like the women. I don't know if he's bi or what he is, transgender. But Walter is just in his own league. Walter has got his own mind. He's going to go his own way. And um, you've never seen him with another turkey. I've never, the only time I've seen him, maybe within 20 yards of a hen. And um, I could set up in one field where I see him. And go over there and you set a decoy out and I'll have two-year-olds come in and I'll look and he'll be at the other end of the field. And Walter, you're almost better to hunt without a decoy. You just set a, try to set a hen out. And you do that and then he sits out there and because he won't come in any closer, he'll just stand out there and do the typical crap. So anyway, this is Walter. 
And but it, Walter is taking his time. He's up on this hill and he's he's uh, fanning, and I'm watching him through the binoculars. And he's probably 100 yards. And man, what a beautiful! And and he's the first bird that came out of the field. And um, when he started coming down, um, he started moving to us. And he would you know he'd make it 10 yards, and then you know I'd putt again, and he'd he'd strut back. When he'd stop, that's when I'd start putting. And, and clucking a little bit and yelping a little bit, and he'd start that strutting and back and forth. Uh, then he'd get done, he'd start coming again, and then he'd walk another 10 steps and stop. And so this is going on. I finally get him, oh, probably 70 yards. And all of a sudden, another big um, gobbler comes out of the woods who's got a hen. And I knew there was a couple because I heard him that morning. And as soon as he came out, Walter takes off heading to the north, and this 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 gobbler comes out from the west, and Walter takes off on a fast walk, heading out of Dodge, and heads over there and gets in the corner of the woods like he's hiding like a the wuss he is. And then, of course, I got the big gobbler, and he comes out with a few hens, and they head over to that north end of the field, and we start seeing more birds, and I got three or four jakes that come out, and there's a time with them, and everything goes to this north end where I've been watching them in the morning. So we go up and, and we set up, we tried to set up between the hill and where they were coming out of the roost. Now, each time of this, I haven't spooked one turkey and we've made it real close, even though there's a lot in there that we, we didn't want to make our presence. And that's the cool thing of, of the difference between a turkey and a gobbler, or excuse me, a, a turkey and hunting deer and whitetails, that turkey doesn't smell your scent. You know, where deer, you go in there and trample around, and you smell your scent, they're out of there. But anyway, we uh, we set up in between there, and, and sure enough, um, they come out, but they follow the hens, and they go straight over to that hill, and I did it, and, and I was talking to Dan about this, and, and I've said this uh, to people that when you know, we're at the shows and, and we're selling calls, that when the turkeys get with hens, you know, if you don't can't get into the midday and try to get them when the hens go back to the roost, I definitely, and I've done this several times on big gobblers that I've killed, and I've even told people that were with me, hey, I'm going to call that hen. I get her in, you know, I'm going to get that gobbler in. So I don't call to that gobbler. I'm actually, if you've been out there and you've been enough, spent enough time in the woods, you, I call very aggressive and uh, trying to be the dominant hen that's out there. And this really works with not just having a jake and you're laying hen. I'll then take a standing hen and a feeding hen, but I'll have three hens out there and I'll have the standing hen. And that's when I'll start barking and acting like she's the king queen bee and what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to get those hens to migrate to me and if i get them that gobbler don't know one thing except that you know his pecker's dragging and he wants to head that way over there to 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 where the hens are going and so i started calling aggressive and and by golly this big hen was just happened to be over the hill we couldn't see she pops up and and we my wife starts recording and filming and her and I go back to this conversation that, you know, speaking to the animals and speak the language. I was definitely speaking her language because I would mimic her and go at her. But then a couple of times I'd cut her off, which actually made her uh, upset more. But she had this real raspy, hollow uh, uh, yelp that you can listen to. And she'd purr, I'd purr, I'd, and she'd put, I'd putt. And she came in so vocal, answered me back and forth. I mean, I never stopped. We just kept going back and forth. And it actually, the whole video started just six minutes. 
but uh, you get down to the last minute it, uh, of it, it's really vocal and going back and forth. And <laughs> of course, that morning when I set up, it was it was dark. I put my standing hen up and, and didn't put it in, I guess, uh, far enough in the wind, you know, tip her completely over on her side. So I looked over and told my wife, said, ah, we'll see what happened. This, this might not be good. And you can see on the video, she comes around. And of course, as soon as she sees that, that laying hen, she's out of there and, and out of Dodge. Here's one minute of turkey talk between me and the hen and then Diane's and my review of what happened from the blind. Very cool recording from our hunt. So, you know, it's one of the things I'm trying to is call that hen. If it's aggressive, if they're out there, call aggressive. Try to get that hen to come to you. So it comes to our last day, and, and, and I'm moving on these birds, and, and I figure out, you know, so, hey, I'm going to have that on that where they're ending up on that hill. I'm going to try to use that and, 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 be, and try to be in the line of where they're going. And it, I will say this. There's a couple things that I've noticed this year, especially with the, the mature gobblers, and I'll say the older hens, but guys always had the conception that, uh, you know, that you're blind out there doesn't bother turkeys. And I am up in the air on that. You know, I'm kind of 50-50. I went out there in the middle of the hill. You know, I never would do anything like that with a whitetail. 
And because uh, whitetails, I know when they're sitting there, they're coming right out. As soon as they come out, they look at you on the hill and, hey, there's something new there. And um, so anyway, I, I did notice this year that when I put that blind on that hill, um, those turkeys weren't coming straight in. And, and every day had been migrating to that hill, migrating that hill. They weren't coming out and acting spooked. But they were coming out and migrating and going another way that they never did watching them for a week. You know, it's crazy. So the only thing I'm saying is, and especially I didn't overcall, these birds weren't scared. You know, I'd get the gobblers to, to, to you know, strut and everything. But uh, it was uh, Sunday morning, Mother's Day morning. I went out there and, and uh, set up. But what I did is I, put, I took the Jake and I put a laying hen, but I faced... The Jake and the Lane Hen towards the hillside where the turkeys were roosting. I what I did after that is that I put two or three hen. I had three other hens, I think, and I put them on the you know past them on, on the hill more. So like they were on top of the hill, they were heading over there to go feed and do whatever they're doing. And then the Jake was behind them, all facing that way, and like he was moving towards them. So it was a natural natural runway movement for them. And early that morning, I had I snuck in there and had the gobblers up ahead of me again in the woods. I had them behind me, and um, the first thing into the field I see, I see, and it's early, and I see. Then of course we have overcast really bad, but uh, <clears throat> first was a big gobbler, a big one, and he got out there, and I lightly called to him. I barely called, but I lightly called to him, and he. You know, took as much, but he kept going straight, and then he started going the other way. And I said, "You son of a gun!" Doing the same thing, going the other way. And the second gobbler come out was just this, about the same size of him, and he worked out and got on the hill. He showed more, a little more attention. So I, I called at him, but I let him go. And the next thing you see, he's going to follow that other gobbler. So I had nothing to lose. So I started giving him a faster and harder cut. You know, just cut. started giving that faster cutting, you know, and then he finally, I turned him, and he started coming, and then once I got him to come, and he got over the hill, when he got over the hill, and he was out of sight, all I did was then, from then on, was a super light putt and a yelp. Just kept doing that light stuff, and once he came over the hill, he'd walk, and when he'd stop, I'd give that light putt again, and once he made, he again, he circled around me, and he was circling around to get around that Tom. He, he wanted to get around to the front of him, not come in from behind him, I, and I don't know if he was looking to see if there was a Jake. It's a three-quarter strut Dave Smith decoy. looks awesome, but once he got around, and I'm getting excited because... I'm wanting so bad. I have it. my dad's old Remington 1148 mint condition, skeet barrel 410 model. And uh, I've got some Apex 410 load shooting the bead. And, and with the bead at 25 yards, it is dead on. And it just patterns amazing. No special turkey choke. It's a full skeet choke barrel, you know. And I'm so excited 
that I was probably more excited as my first turkey I ever killed because I, I wanted so bad to kill one with this old 410. And once he got around and saw that laying hen, even though it's a four season, he started coming in on, on a real fast walk. And with his head down, started coming in and I let him get, you know, I, I could have probably let him see what he'd done. But when he hit 25 yards and close to 20, I, I just, I, I, I turned him into a gymnast. He did a backflip. So it was pretty awesome, a great moment. And um, again, learning on this fourth season gobblers that, um, you know, follow them, try to see up, be set up in their patterns. Don't give up. But the biggest key is make sure to go in in the morning However you got to do it, go in so early that they can't, they, they just can't be interrupted. Um, you know, try to make sure that you're not bumping them going in and out. And it's all right if you do. I found it if I'm going to bump them and if I'm on a four-wheeler in my truck, it's so much better than bumping them if I'm trying to walk into the woods and stuff like that. Because I think they're so used to the farmer's equipment and everything that's out there all the time. And... Um, but again, you know, like I said, that, that deal with the blind, I'm not 100% sure that, you know, those older times they see that, it looks out and they just, they're not, they didn't spook, but they veered, I think they veered from it because it definitely changed their pattern coming every day and watching them a month coming out of that roost and heading right over that and working that hill every day. Um, something to think about. And also that 360 blind, you know, they talk about it. It's neat that I can see. But I did have a couple of instances that uh, I don't know if birds saw, saw us or not inside that. We had jakes one day, uh, three jakes one time hunting. They came in. There's no reason. They came right to the decoy and right there at the decoy, all three of them just started running away fa as fast as they could. So, you know, there's things that we keep checking and things we keep uh, analyzing and, and trying to see. But, you know, you can't, you can't kill them and you can't learn if you're not out there in the field. It just... Like I said, don't give up in that fourth season. Try to, to uh, get their, you know, travel patterns. And, and the biggest thing is try to, if you do get a lone tom, you know, use some separate hens to put with him to have one tom with it. And, um, you know, then pray for good luck. But, you know, use some soft calling and, and don't overcall on them. If, if, you know, my thing the same way in geese and ducks, you know, if they're going away from you, yeah, you got nothing to lose. But when they're sitting there and they don't, um, you don't know whether they come to you. They haven't doesn't look like they had made a choice. I believe that calling hard can be hindered, especially in the later season, early season. It, it might not hurt at all, but in that later season, especially on more educated or uh, older birds, I think that it hinders yourself. So kind of lean forward to, you know, if they're starting to move to you, just give them soft purrs and putts, soft purrs and putts. If they go down under the hill, give them some soft yelps. But just kind of keep that soft all the way. And once they start coming, once they're committed to come, then just keep quiet. Just let them come in and let him keep focus on it. If he stops, and you know, again, I always let the animal dictate what I'm going to do. But if he stops and he doesn't, and he's going to look around, you know, if he kind of turns ahead, give him another little putt, and, you know, get, to get that brain focused back on onto the decoys. But it can be done, and I'm proof. We shot a 24-pounder with the 10.5-inch beard, and he wasn't Walter. So the, the ode to Walter is the, the continuous story. It will be next year, Walter dies with gray, gray dies. I, I don't know who's going to die of old age first, Walter or me. But uh, Walter's still going to be in my dreams and, and uh, probably nightmares. But it's, a, it's, a, it's amazing what you can learn from these critters that have a brain the size of a pea. But uh, this year, like I said, it was a big learning experience. And the fourth season is, is tough because, like I said, didn't hunt much. 
before, but when I started hunting it, you know, you're seeing totally different bird than what you hunt the first and second. And um, just hang with it, guys. And I hope if you like this podcast, please subscribe uh, to the George Lynch Hunting Podcast. Go to uh, Legendary Gear with George Lynch. That's our YouTube channel. Uh, subscribe to this uh, this podcast and hit a like. Tell your buddies. And like I said, guys, email me any type of, of things you want to talk about, things you like to to you know talk. You want me to talk what subjects and you know things we get onto and just email. We'll talk about it. We'll bring a podcast up and and, and try to help you out and answer what we can. So I hope you enjoyed it. And as we always say on this podcast, hunt safe, hunt smart. May the good Lord be your guide. Take care, guys. Well, I'll be out there, rain is shining, all a part of the great design. Bring it on, I can never get enough. Because that's what legends are made of.